listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking, and I am your host, Philip Anthony. I'm so glad that you could join us today, and I hope that everyone listening is doing fantabulous. And Jen, just so you know, fantabulous is a combination of fantastic and fabulous fabulous. put together Mm -hmm. twice as nice. It is twice as nice. You don't have to say both words. (laughs) Isn't that fabulous? It saves time. It's fantabulous. (laughs) It's fantabulous. (laughs) My special, super special guest today is professional vocalist and actress Jen Burley Bentz. Hello. And I just want to welcome you to the Downright Upright Show. It's such a pleasure to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you look great, by the way. I I didn't expect to to have this video ready for today, but (laughs) here you are, and uh, you're looking the best. Thank you. You bet. Now, uh, on all my shows, I always like to start um, with foundational questions, you know, about the guests' beginnings and, you know, where they grew up, went to school, and any other added tidbits they want to throw in. So would you indulge me on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm Ascani. I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, Um, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a small little town. I was in Ellsworth, Wisconsin until I was nine, and then I moved to Baldwin, Wisconsin. Big upgrade. It was at least 200 more people in the town. (laughs) That's a big upgrade. It's a big upgrade. Yeah. And I graduated from Baldwin-Woodville High School with a class of 77. Um, So a small class size and, um, you know, a a small school. It wasn't a country school. Um, I always like to tell people who don't know where Baldwin is. It's 35 miles east of St. Paul, so it's barely in the border, but it is 20 miles in the border. Um, So St. Paul, Minneapolis was always our urban area. So when we went to museums or went to shows or anything like that, St. Paul, Minneapolis was our twin cities. So we kind of considered ourselves the metro, even though, you know, we were, we were very far, far, far beyond the metro <laughs> at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, you know, full disclosure to the audience, I um, have to say this. I was at uh, Pride. It was Golden, Golden, Valley, Golden Pride, Valley Pride. And I was walking and you were on stage singing and I literally just stopped in my tracks. It was just amazing. And we listened to your, your performance. And, and then later I got to meet you. <laughs> and I was like, that was that, you know? And then here you are on my show. So thank you for doing that. I mean, it's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, that day was amazing, A. And it was lovely to meet you. Yeah. It was, it was a fabulous event, actually. I, the Golden Valley Pride is really wonderful. Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe all the vendors and all the music. It was crazy. But yes, I'm so, I'm so happy to be able to be a part of it. Uh, thank you. And, and, and on behalf of the LGBTQ community, I, 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 we love you. Thank you so much for doing that. And um, by the way, did you have any training in singing? Did you go to a specific school or... Was this just a natural thing for you? You know what? My mother played guitar. Um, and so from the time I was three, she would play and we would sing, my sister and I. And so my parents were very re- are very religious. And so we went to church three times a week. Um, and so as a three-year-old, I sang my first solo. <laughs> I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. You know, with... I had to do the emotions. I had to make a P <laughs> as a child. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I'm moving my arms, people, when I say I had to make a P. I'm actually making a shape of a 
pee out of my arms. <laughs> but yeah, so from, from the age of just a youth, we sang a lot. And my mother is the oldest of 11 children, so, and her family were all very musical. So every time we got together for any sort of a holiday, there would always be a lot of harmony. Um, they'd all pull out their guitars. We'd sing a lot of John Denver and Carpenter songs and all, all sorts of... Oh, so many tunes that I don't know why I know. Except I love for both of those of people, by the way, that yeah. you just mentioned. Hello, Leon Russell. I mean, all sorts of oh, wonderful stuff. But um, nothing uh, was ever uh, schooled. I was never schooled in, in anything vocal until I was in high school. And when one of my teachers, um, Janet Hansen, who was my choir teacher and the music director of our theatrical productions, um, she sent me to voice lessons. And she sent me to the University of Wisconsin River Falls um, to um, Jean Waltz. Um, and uh, the most wonderful woman, she was classically training me, but she was training me in how to create voice, not just classical. So she, you know, I, I had a semester with her basically once a week and the school paid for my lessons. Um, and Janet arranged that. And uh, after that, um, my, she and my theatrical drama teacher there, Roxanne Joaquin, the two of them really helped me to uh, look for scholarships for college. Um, we had done Anything Goes at the school, and oh. they cast me in Reno Sweeney. You know, my first big role in a, in a musical was you my senior lead? year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and because of that, they said, you know what, she's... She's got something that we see, and we want her to continue with it as much as possible. So I went to school um, at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and I was a music major when I started. I ended up with a BS, which I like to tout often that I have a BS degree. (laughs) (laughs) I have a BS Theater B- Comprehensive of Science, Major. Yes, yeah, so as yeah. opposed to a Bachelor of Arts, mm-hmm. I have a BS, Bachelor of Science, Theater Comprehensive Major with an emphasis in music. Um, so that was where the education aspect came in for me. But truly, I think the education was through performance. So I started working in, um, like at Valley Fair when I was 19 and doing summer theater uh, when I was 20. And I worked um, at Williamsburg, um, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, and did a, a show there. In, and then the next year at Opryland, USA, in Nashville. And then the next year in uh, in uh, Ohio, I did a you know live theater show, nonsense of all shows. And I and remember just that one. Going, go, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that show's a fun one. But just going up from there, you know, consistently outside of school. Um, so my schooling was very important. I think. I very much value it, but uh, the schooling outside of an educational facility was really where I think I learned, A, how to live as an artist, and B, how to network as an artist. Well, to be um, on stage, I think, is the best education, don't you think? Just to actually be there and and, and, and grab the energy from the audience, right? I mean... Oh, it's yeah, it's huge. Oh, yeah. I, I also think that because of the educational aspect that I had, we had to have a rounded education. So it wasn't just about being on stage. And I find that to be very important in the way that I live my life in the theater. I had to design uh, sets and, and lighting. I had to be a costumer. I had to be a backstage um, 
set mover. I had to be a stage manager. I had to, um, I had to direct and all of those things in college. So you get a very well-rounded idea of the work that everyone else is putting into those productions, not just the person on the stage Mm -hmm. and how to appreciate them and how to go through the rest of your theatrical career, appreciating them and learning from them just as much as the audience learns from the actor. Mm -hmm. And, and as you moved along in your career, did, did the nerves backstage get better or did they get worse or does it depend on the show? It so depends on the show. It depends on where it's at. Depends on how much rehearsal you've had. Um, uh, there are definitely times when I have come run off stage for an exit and quickly picked up my script to look at the next scene because I was just so wanting to make sure I got it right. And I was not sure if it was right because there just wasn't enough time for me to feel like it was in my body and to feel like I was confident that it would be there if I didn't look at it. So those, those still happen. I still have those today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not today, because today I'm not in a show, <laughs> but in the shows I do today, for sure. Right. Now, you, you mentioned before about John Denver mm-hmm. and the Carpenters and Leon Russell. Mm-hmm. Were Carol they, King. Carol King. Yeah. If you had to, you know, put you on the spot and you had to pick <laughs> one particular artist that you wanted to emulate and you that actually motivated you to do what you do today what would it who would it be oh golly i'm i'm really bad with like favorites i think it has to do something with my inconsistent personality i'm a gemini <laughs> so one day it's somebody the next day it's going to be somebody else but as you know as you said that i was thinking back and i was thinking about when i was a child and we had an 8 track tape player and we had very few 8 track tapes we had olivia newton john we had dolly parton and then we had Eddie Rabbit. Yeah, and I we remember had Dan Fogelberg. Oh, yeah. And we had the Oak Ridge Boys. And so I would say that that whole era of music was really helpful to push me, but it was probably the Grease movie and the soundtrack because that was really? a musical before it was a movie, but I didn't know that because my family had nothing to do with theater my whole life until I was in high school. Um, I, I knew, I didn't know anything from Camelot or South Pacific or sound of music. I had seen the movie, but it wasn't something that was, uh, that important to my family. Um, so Greece was the first real, wow, I want to be able to do that. Yeah. That I had. That was on Broadway too, I believe. It was, it was on Broadway before the movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they added two songs that weren't in the play from what I remember, which is the, you're the one that I want. Yep. And hopelessly devoted to you. Yeah, and then they took some of them out from the screenplay. Correct. I mean, for the screenplay. Uh Yeah. Um, So that was the first foray that I had into any sort of dancey musical theater aspect of my life. And I think that did really help me to shape the idea that it was possible to do all those things at one time. I know that sounds silly, but as a child, sometimes you just don't know until you know that it, that it is something that people do because mm. I had never seen it live on stage mm. um, until I was a junior high. I think we went to uh, the children's theater and it was a play. And so it wasn't until I actually saw it on the, on the theater screen. Wow. That's something I want to do. Um, so Olivia Newton, John was already in, in my eight track player. <laughs> so I think the first single that I ever bought was, um, 
was her and it was she and another gentleman singing a duet from Xanadu. And I can't remember the name. ELO of it. was the other group that yeah, sang with her. But yeah. what, who was the guy that... Was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Mm. I, I can hear his voice. Right. Um, but that was the first single I ever bought. Yeah. Um, and yes, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> if I had to really poke back there, um, that would be definitely an artist that was transitional for me. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I like to surprise my guests. So I'm going to tell you something that happened to me. And I had a dream a couple of days, maybe three or four days ago about you because I was so Uh anxious to interview you. I really, because I'm, (laughs) I'm a music lover. I love music. I wish I had more guests that were music, you know, music. Uh, I had a few, um, and they, they were singers in bands, and they were in presently uh, uh, performing in the Twin Cities. I, I had a dream that you were, you were singing Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, and you were playing Ava Peron. Uh, now that's a bucket list role right there. I think I, may, I think I might be past the ability to play that role anymore. Oh, my God. For but many you, reasons. But You had a, a, a standing ovation. I remember the whole deal. <laughs> it, was so, it was so realistic, though, Jen. It really was. It was like I woke up and said, I wonder if she ever was in that play. I don't even know. <laughs> I wish there was a... Patty Lapone was the original, yes, right? Wasn't yeah, she? And, yeah. and you, sometimes you'd think of... When I, I guess when I heard your voice, maybe you reminded me of her. I don't know. But. Well, the beautiful thing about uh, having someone allow us to feel like we want to be better, like Olivia Newton-John, mm-hmm. we don't always have that kind of voice. Olivia Newton-John and Dolly Parton have that beautiful, just lilty soprano, light and, and beautiful and gorgeous and clear and crisp. And I have a little bit more of an Ethel Merman um, thing. D- Judy Garland, Ethel Merman, um, natural placement well now you just hit another <laughs> a, a nerve for me my husband and i when i want him when he's not happy and um i always had this ability even when my mom was alive god rest her soul to make people laugh i would imitate ethel merman oh my god, I love it. and i can do a couple of bars if you want to hear i it. think we should there's no business like show business like no business i know is that good? <laughs> okay, I just I had to throw that it's in there. So perfect. <laughs> it's oh getting God. it's getting worse as I get older. But when I was younger, I hit, I was right on. You know. Anyway, <laughs> everything about it is appealing. <laughs> she had that kind of I don't know great great projection in her. Oh voice. my gosh! Well, that's the thing. She. Um... She and so many singers from her era did not have microphones to yes. to catapult their voices yeah. over the band. And I and I have actually met um, a lot of gentlemen over the years that um, that played in the pit uh, with her when she was touring through here when she wow. was touring through Minneapolis. Um, Leo Fine is one of them, a gentleman that played the trumpet, and uh, he said it didn't matter how loud he played, you could still hear her. Over the band, absolutely, and I mean that—that's not necessarily what people are looking for anymore when it comes to um, Broadway singers. But it's because it is... we've we, we, we've developed uh, good audio systems to pick up the exactly. voice. Exactly, but you know, I, another tidbit. Oh my God, you're electronic hitting, music. You're hitting you know? all my tidbits today. <laughs> I'm a tidbit hitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love you. Um, so, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, so Ethel Merman. She appeared on the Judy Garland show mm. with Barbara Streisand at, mm. her, at the beginning of Barbara's career, 
and they they were going to do a show business, uh, the, the song. Sure. And they both had to stop singing because Ethel was just drowning them out. You have to, it's on YouTube. I would suggest everyone go oh look gosh. at it. it. It's funny as hell. They were all like just going, you know. Is, is that the same, um, the same episode that they sing, Happy Days Are Here Again? Probably. Isn't that, a pretty, that was a pretty version. Yeah. Oh, yeah, their duet. Amazing. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Beautiful. It's, it, it's classic. Classic. You can't, you, you know. It's incomparable to anything I've, you can hear today. Because today, no, no insult to my young viewer, uh, viewers, my young listeners, but um, <laughs> auto-tune is kind of taking away that uh, natural sound to me. And everybody yeah. kind of sounds the same. Well, and right? yeah, there's, there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole switch of focus. But there are a lot of performers out there that, that don't perform that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I've just recently, I was just in New Orleans for um, nine days, and there was a singer on the street. Um, she was a fabulous clarinetist, and I, and I wish I could recall her, her name right now, but I can't. Um, fabulous clarinetist and singer, and she had such a unique style. And it's those unique styles that I think are oftentimes not heard by the mainstream, but there are a lot of us that's, that follow them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Even, you know, I, I, I don't like to point, point out people, but like even Ariana Grande, she's got a Olivia Newton-John style voice. She's got that lilty soprano and sweet, you know, clear and crisp sound up Absolutely, there. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm sure that in the recording studio, they have to do some zhuzhing. But in the general sense of it, her live performances are as strong as what I, what I have heard, her strong, as strong as her recorded performances. And so when you look back at Judy and, and Babs, I mean, they had such different styles, but they also were so similar in the way that they just encapsulated the lyric and they created their own style and stretched and pushed and compressed and pulled yeah. the style in their own fashion that I think that's why, like you said, that particular tune is so iconic because they almost sound like each other sometimes, but they're so, all, all, they're so different at uh-huh. the same time. But the interesting thing with that performance, like, you know, I, I love interviewing you because you and I are on the same page about music. <laughs> I, love, I love to talk about this stuff. Um, I'm going off on tangerines here, but... Um, <laughs> but um, when they get to be grapefruits, we're gonna have a real problem. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's like Barbara was at the beginning of her career. She was yeah. like a sprout, and Judy was on the decline at that point. You know, she was starting to you know lose it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But she, and you notice she was pushing it. She was, but she was able to keep up. And it, it, to me, that was it. Was kind of like, like. Is this the end of the chapter here for Judy? Yeah. Uh, when, when I saw it, because you could see she wanted to so badly to keep up with Barbara, and she was able to, but you could see it was a struggle a little bit. She was grabbing her arm, and you got to watch the video. It's it's yeah, it's, I've seen it numerous times, and if anybody hasn't seen it, just just Google on YouTube or go to YouTube, yeah, yeah. and do Barbara Streisand Judy Garland Happy Days, and it will come up. The yeah. the video will come up. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough at the History Theater in St. Paul, where I work a lot, actually. Um, I love working there. I love it when a uh, a theater has a mission that they stick to and that furthers local stories, and that's what the History Theater is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, stories from Minnesota, by Minnesotans, or activities that occurred in Minnesota is what they require to have on their stage. So um, they, they did a show called Beyond the Rainbow, 
And uh, they've done it a few times now. The first time they did it, I was hired as the understudy, which I just am so, so flabbergasted that I got to do it. I think it was 2005. And um, yeah, it was right before I moved to New York. And uh, I had to understudy Jody Brisky, who was playing Judy, in the Carnegie Hall performance. So they called her role Garland, the elder. And then I had to understudy Nora Long, who was playing Judy, the young girl, um, from age four to age 40. And I had to go on for both of them for two weeks apiece. So you had to practice how to sound older, right? You had to practice the young Judy and the old Judy. It was fabulous. Um, Wow. But we had so much time that we were able to invest in the history and watching the old footage and listening listening to her decline. And she was so young. She was so young when she passed, and all all the things that happened in her life started happening when she was so young. And you know, if we were look, we were to look at it now, we'd be like, she was a child actor, just like we see with on television, child actors that go, they go maybe Rotten Tomatoes for a while, and then maybe they come back, and then they go Rotten Tomatoes, and they keep. It's that ebb and flow of popularity and of ability because of what we're putting into our bodies. It was just such an amazing journey to be able to, to follow that from age four all the way up to when she passed, or to the Carnegie Hall per- performance, which was not long before she passed. Well, the movie studio she was working for, um, they were giving her drugs to keep her awake and yep. pushing it. So I, and it, then it, drugs to sleep. And then drugs to get her exactly. back on. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a sad, sad story mm-hmm. um, about her. And Renee Zellweger did a really great job in the movie. Um, I mean, I think I mean yeah. for somebody who you know who I never thought of as a as a singer. But anyway, um, so I'm going to move on to something then. This is my fascination um, with you. Is I believe your biggest accomplishment thus far has been uh, your appearance on Broadway in Mamma Mia. And um, mm. wow, Broadway! Just the just the word alone gives me the chills because I grew up on Broadway. Not I didn't grow up on Broadway. <laughs> I wish I did, but I grew up going uh, to see shows. I, I you know I saw uh, Into the Woods. I saw uh. Um, uh, I saw the original Grease. Mm. I saw um, um, Sarava. I, there were a lot of old oh, yeah, shows. Yeah. You know, I was, I'm a little old, but <laughs> but um, can you tell me about that experience? Just, just give it to the audience. I mean, because I I can't imagine how you must have felt doing that. We only got an hour here, Philip. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, for me, it's hard to talk about that experience without prefacing it with the fact that I took the initiative at a young age, young enough, um, to go to New York, to test it out, to see if it was a place I could live. I lived there for a couple months. I ended up taking a tour with Troop America and coming back here and then getting married the next year. So I didn't stay there for very long. I was just there for a couple months, but I loved it. I lived on the Upper West Side. And then um, in 2001, there was a 2000. There was a tour of Mamma Mia that came through, and I was working on this um, indie indie musical at that at that time. And the director said, "You need to be in the show. You need to go to the show because you should be in it." And I said, "Okay." And so I went, and I was like, "Ooh, she's right. That's it's right for my voice type. It's right for my my dance ability because I'm not a dancer, but I can dance." And it was right for my age. I would 
growing into the roles, etc. So that next year I went to New York and I stayed with some people that I had met, that I had met here when I worked at the Ordway doing Into the Woods, Christopher Carl. And I met, and I stayed with one of my girlfriends, uh, Liana Rita, that I worked with when I did the national tour of Buddy Holly that came out of the Ordway. So two experiences that I had here allowed me to go to New York and stay with people from there. So that was wonderful. Those were wonderful opportunities for me. And I took them and I went and I auditioned for that show. And I don't know, like six other shows at that point. And I got called back from a, from a chorus call. It was an open chorus call. I got called back and I got called back and I got called back and there were the nicest people I had. There were the nicest people behind the, the counter. One of them was David Grindrod, who's a, a famous casting director in England and he, of course, worked with the England company. And then when they came to Broadway, he came and helped to cast the Broadway company. So um, I had the opportunity to meet all these people, do all these auditions. And I had to fly home. I was only there for two weeks. I had to fly home. They called me back again. So I flew back twice for auditions. The last audition I had that year, I was sure I had the role. Tara Rubin was still with her other company or she was just starting her new company, Tara Rubin Casting. And she came, she had me read with every single person there. She had me read Donna, Rosie, and Tanya with every single other person that was there. I think I read for, I was there for three or four hours reading with people. And then she finally said to me, thank you so much. That's all we need for today. And I never heard from them again. Oh no. I never heard from them again. So in 2004, 2000, oh golly, I don't remember, 2003, 2004, I went down to Chicago um, with my husband at that time. We were in Milwaukee. We decided to swing down through Chicago and do an audition in Chicago. My husband. Because they were not coming to Minneapolis for this audition for Mama Mia for replacements. So I went down there and they were looking for tour um, people at that point. So I went down there. Uh, had an audition on June 1st and David Grindrod was behind the counter. He was behind the table. He was the same gentleman that was there in New York when I was there in 2000. And then there were also some other people that I had met on that journey that were there. So he said, darling, would you like to come back tomorrow for a callback? And I said, I would. Tomorrow is my birthday. And he goes, (gasps) it's my birthday too. And I said, shut up. There you go. (laughs) Rude girl from Wisconsin. Shut up. And he said, no, it's my birthday too. And I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I I auditioned for you and I, I saw you quite a few times in 2000. And, um, uh, and I'm happy to see you again. And he goes, uh, in New York. And he said, we'll get there again, darling. We'll get there again. And the next day I went in and I brought a scone and happy birthday plates and happy birthday candle and happy birthday hats. And I lit the candle and I gave the hats to all the other girls that were in the audition room. And I had them come in and sing happy birthday to David Grindrod. Cause you know, this is what you do. It's a scone. He's English. And we did, and he, he was just sweet as can be. And I looked behind him, and I said, oh, look, somebody brought you balloons for your birthday. And he said, they're for you, darling. And he handed me balloons for my birthday oh, wow. at my callback. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was the sweetest, most wonderful. That's how that company was. That from the very top to the very, I don't even want to say bottom, as you come around the circle, everybody that was in that circle was so wonderful. And uh, I stayed for the day. They took a Polaroid of, of me at the end of the day because they did that with the people that they wanted to see. And again, and they, they took a Polaroid of me and then they said, put on the birthday hat. 
And I said, oh, my God. Okay. So I put on the birthday hat. And I was like, that was the picture that got me the job, not my headshots, not my resume. That picture that just showed me being a human, a nice person that can sing the shit out of, sorry if I can't say that, sing no, sing the stuff that they needed me to sing and hit the notes and needed me to, to hit and put the motion in it that they wanted me to give of my own and bring myself to it. That was what they were looking for was unique individual personalities that were easy to get along with, uh-huh. fun, seemed true and, and honest and sincere. And I think that's why that company was so great. So how soon after you took the picture with the happy birthday hat did you get the role? Well, they offered me, they offered me the national tour Okay. that fall. And I was going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with that indie show that I was talking about. Right, right, right. And I would have had to leave my director high and dry without her lead actress a week before she was leaving for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So I had to say to Tara Rubin, I'm so sorry. I can't, if you can wait, I can come out. And she said, we can't wait. And I said, I can't leave my director high and dry in Edinburgh without a lead. Right. And she said, well, it's really good to know that you have the integrity and loyalty to stick to that. We'll we'll talk with you again. That impressed her. It impressed her. Well, and you know, I mean, she thought about it. That was she could have just said, "You're making a really dumb mistake," um, but she didn't. And the, I didn't hear from them again. So that next spring, they were doing an audition for um, the opera that Benny and Bjorn wrote, C- Katrina. Ooh, I think I'm butchering it. Um, anyway, I went down and pulled out my legit stuff, and wouldn't you know it. I got a call the next day, and the, the call the next day was Tara Rubin had called her associate, Eric Woodall, and had said, I just saw Jen Burley Vents. Check and see if she's available, because their triple cover had just given the notice on Broadway. I didn't go for that audition, mm-hmm. Katrina. I didn't go for the audition for, the, for Mama Mia, but because it was the same people, and they remembered me, I got the job. They said, can you be in New York in 18 days? And I said, um, I should probably check with my husband first, <laughs> but I think that's possible. And within 18 days, I had to find a place to live. And I moved to New York, and within a month, I was pussyfooting on Broadway Mm-mm-mm. for five, year, five years, two years full-time, and then on and off for three years. You must have rocked the house. Oh, it was so much fun. It was the best job I ever had. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I love all my experiences. They're all so different. But when you've done... Um, you know, 2,000 shows of one production, it's just, it, it's, it sits in your body differently and it sits in your heart differently. Um, what, what theater was that in, by the way? The Winter Garden? Yes. Mm. It started in the Winter Garden, then it went to the Broadhurst, and the last show that I had in there was still in, in the Winter Garden. It was right before they moved to the Broadhurst. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. It was fabulous. And I got to meet so many people because that show rotated leads like you wouldn't believe we had six donnas my first year six contracted donnas each time a new donna came on we would have to learn their individual track Uh so we'd have to relearn the track because they would put their own spin on it it was so much fun it was so much fun well congratulations that must have been the highlight of your life it must have been i learned a lot from a lot of different people wow um now, the next question, um, I'm not sure it's going to be Mamma Mia, but you can answer if it is. Um, what was the most challenging stage role you performed in, and why was that? Um, I'm going to mm. gather it's not going to be Mamma Mia just because your voice is, that's kind of 
Those, easy to sing yeah. with your voice, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, uh, what was the most challenging for you, I would say? Hmm. Um, you know, I'm always brought back to the more recent things. And if, I'm sure if I thought back further, I'd probably be able to... Actually, I can, I can meld two of them together. Mm-hmm. When I was a sophomore in college... Uh, I did Skin of Their Teeth, Skin of Their Teeth, and I played the gypsy woman. That was the name of the character. And my director wanted me bent over at the waist. You know, the physicality that he wanted from me was so foreign for me standing and preening, you know, because that's what that's what you do when you're in the theme parks. You stand and preen and you point your toes and you, you know, you know, mm-hmm. so... Uh, it was it was a real challenge for me to continually inhabit the body of of someone who was uh, infirmed. Um, it didn't mean she was seventy; it just meant that she was she had lived a hard life. And just recently, um, in in the spring, I did a show up at, at Duluth Playhouse at the North Shore Theater in Duluth, which I also adore working at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could say that just because I want to work there again. But I love it up there. It's like, it's like our own little ocean, and there's just a zen about that place and the people there. It's just different. There's something special about it. Regardless, I did Into the Woods up there, and um, I've I played the witch, and I've understudied the witch a couple of times, but I've never been able to take the role as my own. And the music director up there and the director allowed me to create a character that was so challenging to me to to ride the fine line of someone who was quite terrible to the people who surrounded her, but still had such love and a capacity for love in her heart that you could find something good about her or at least find something to um, find familiar or similar to your own self. And the first act was me being the gypsy woman. I mean, it was, it was me allowing myself to have the infirmary, the infirm, infirmed body that the witch can have, doesn't have to, but can. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was such a wonderful challenge to revisit and to bring in to my now adult life. And the music is very, it's really difficult and fa- fantabulous. Um, <laughs> it is. And it's, it's very easy to sit in a wonderful production like Bernadette Peters playing that role, you know, or, you know, Vanessa Williams playing that role. Fabulous performers, fabulous singers. And I was, I was able to take the challenge to make it my own and to mine those lyrics and find those moments that I'd never seen anybody else find. I don't know if the audience saw me find them, but I found them in my heart and in my head and in my ability or inability sometimes to sing them with technical grace because there's so much raw emotion that can be left on that stage. And, you know, it was a challenge that I gladly accepted, not knowing how much it would affect me. And now I just felt like I grew years worth just from that one, that one experience and that one opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than that, that Duluth theater, were there any venues that, um, in the Twin Cities area that you took a liking to that you felt comfortable in your own skin, like, like the Ordway maybe, or, um, <sighs> You know, I, I, 
Every theater in our community, first of all, we're so lucky to have so many amazing Absolutely. theaters in our community. We do. Whether they are union or non-union, it, there, there is such a, a wealth of talent and of space here that we have, I think we have more theater per capita than either L.A., or Chicago. It's like one or the other. But it goes like New York, Chicago, us, or New York, LA, us, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because we have so much. Now if we're talking professional, quote-unquote, theater, it's different. But um, I, I used to work at the Ordway a lot. That was in the early 2000s. I was there for four, four different shows, four or five different shows in as many years. Um, and then the creative changed over, and I haven't worked there in a long time. Um, but it was a wonderful place to work then, and I'm sure it still is now. They have less ability to produce their own shows now than they used to. Mm. So that makes a difference. I loved being at the Guthrie. I did. I understudied a few shows there, and then I did Music Man there. It's a completely different world. It's the world of the Guthrie. It's it's lights. It's spectacle. It's uh, fabulous people because they're from you know they're they're here, mm -hmm. um, and they're bringing in people from out of town, which is lovely. I was at the Chanhassen doing Mamma Mia, of course, um, doing Mamma Mia for a summer, and I found myself in an amazing family of people that just had so much heart and, yes. and so much love. I love and that space. It's beautiful. It's such a family-oriented place. It's, it's, really, it's really, again, when we talk about places being different from each other, they're all wonderful and different, and none of them are better than the other. They might have bigger budgets, but they're all so lovely and different. I would say that uh, of all the places that I have been able to work, I've worked at the History Theater the most, and I think that one of the reasons why that has such a, solid place in my heart if I were to say is there any theater in your life that you felt most connected to it would be that theater even with you know the winter garden because that was fabulous but the history theater with their mission and, and the way that they have treated their people over the years the way that I've been able to meet World War II veterans that lived through the shows that we recreated there. The the Hormel girls, this traveling saleswomen from the 50s. I met Hormel girls that traveled in the 50s to all these different cities and they performed marching band and they went door to door and sold spam and, you know, did what the men couldn't do because of the war. And uh, it, it's, it's been the most spectacular, spectacular opportunity to not only be part of theater, but part of reimagining our history and also bringing to light subjects like Servants Christmas this last year, mm -hmm. which has a, um, a gal from the Jewish community coming and working for a Caucasian family undercover. And, you know, and how that's brought out in, in their production um, and how it's portrayed in their productions is always so thoughtfully and tastefully carried. We just did um, the defeat of Jesse James there with um, Jan Poling and Jeffrey Hatcher's show, which was in Rob Alhai. Amazing, fun, crazy concert. And it could go so many different ways. And mm -hmm. it just, there was so much care and love putting into, put into it that we couldn't have gone wrong. And we mm -hmm. didn't. It was really well received. Wow. But that's why I love working there, is that cons consistent care and thought. Yeah, well, you've been... Almost every venue that we have available in the Twin Cities. So, uh, anybody out there listening, you have to see her. It doesn't matter what venue it is; just go and see uh, Jen Burley Bentz. Anyway, so the last question I want ha I have for you before we go into that the, the, the speed uh, round, the speed, the, yeah, 
The lightning <laughs> round. I like to call the shift, but I'll explain why it's called that later. Um, if, of all the roles in the world that there have ever been, if you had to pick one that you haven't done yet and you would like to take a crack at it, what, what role would that be? Ooh, wow. It's um, a tough question, huh? I mean, Mama Rose is one that I've always thought would be a real challenge to play in Gypsy. Um, mm. Uh, there's there's an opportunity coming up that hopefully I'm not too old for yet. Uh, I I would really be interested in playing Diana in Next to Normal. Um, I would be interested in being in Sunset Boulevard. Mm. Um, I mean, there are there are so many options and so many amazing roles. I would love to be in uh, Little Night Music um, and sing. Uh, I can't remember that character's name right now. It's it's completely out of my head but um yeah what would send you... in the clowns that character oh yeah i mean i don't know if i'm there yet age-wise but i think i am and so there are there are just some real great um broad broads out there that i would love to be able to have the opportunity to portray on stage. i thought you would say evita because my dream <laughs> evita is a is a role that uh is, is crazy and wonderful and huge and such a challenge, and I would love that challenge. However, uh, if we're talking ethnically now, that's not something that I would probably feel comfortable taking. Um, and I don't know that I could play the young Evita. So, um. <laughs> oh, stop. You look fabulous. <laughs> oh, um, can you, b- Before we get to the shift, can you tell the listeners about some of the performances you have coming up in the future? Maybe they'd want to see you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm so lucky to be able to be part of a um, a jazz orchestra. There's Star of the North Jazz Orchestra that we perform every month, the fourth Tuesday of every month at Beast Barbecue in Northeast, right across from Eli's. If anybody's familiar with Eli's, it's on Hennepin after right. Hennepin curves to the east. Would that be on your website too? That it'll be on. The, yep, the information's on the website. It's a free show. It's downstairs in the in the belly of the Beast, as it were, and it's an 18-piece orchestra, an 18-piece jazz orchestra, and we perform for two hours. It's a free show. The food is fabulous. The drinks are great. Um, it, there's not a ton of seating, but usually we can fit everybody in who comes down and it's a Tuesday night. So it's, uh, it's, it's early enough for a school night, but it helps us to bring people to beast to, uh, help judge their night where they're not as busy and bring new people to beast so that they continue to go back there and patronize that wonderful business. Mm-hmm. Another place that I'm really fortunate to be able to work is at the metronome Brewing Company, and that's in Lower Town, St. Paul, right across from the CHS Stadium. And Metronome opened officially last year in June, um, but they've been in town for about a year and a half now. And uh, Metronome is run by Bill Eddins and Matt. I'm going to blank on his last name right now. I can see it. Um, and they. <laughs> it <laughs> and happens all the time. I'm actually going to see them after this because I'm going to work as one of their ambassadors at, a, at an event. But Metronome Brewing takes the proceeds that they make above what their costs are, and they put percentage of that proceed back into education for students in our metro area that cannot afford music education. So music lessons oh, for students, wow. rentals in the junior high or the high school that the families just wouldn't be able to afford. So you'd see kids leaving the music school, leaving the, uh, their ability to be able to perform and to articulate their feelings through music because of 
60 bucks a month, which is a lot to a lot of us, but mm-hmm. 60 bucks a month for an, for a rental instrument. Mm-hmm. Or they find places that will donate those instruments to the schools. Mm-hmm. So they've got this fabulous mission, and they've got live music there all the time. And on Sunday nights, the, uh, the last Sunday night of every month, I do a JBB and Friends cabaret. Um, so last month, I had six, five gals from S- SPCPA, the uh, Performing Arts School in St. Paul, mm-hmm. and they came and performed with me mm. um, downstairs in Fingal's Cave, which is almost like a speakeasy feel with a lovely grand piano. And um, it's $10, and we perform at 630, and it's $10 to get in, but it's just an amazing experience. Mm. This month on the 24th of September, I'm bringing back the girls from Disenchanted, the musical, which is a musical about princesses who are pissed off at Disney for turning them into Barbie dolls. <laughs> That's basically oh the show. And there it's, that sounds cute. It's, it's, it's cute. And it's fantabulous. Like there are moments where you are about to fall off your chair and going, did they just say that? They did just say that. Okay. At Cinderella, yeah. Sleeping Beauty, Snow White, Pocahontas, um, Mulan, uh, the Frog Princess. Um, there are so many, so many that are shown in that group. So there are six of us yeah, that yeah, will yeah. be performing down there, plus Anna Murphy on, on piano. And um, we'll be performing most of the songs from the show, but not all of them. And... Uh, we haven't done that show in, in this city since 2013, so it's our 10-year reunion. Wow. Well, and, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all the information at the end of the show. Where you. uh, your your website, um, mm-hmm. where they can go to find your upcoming performances and venues and all that Great. yada yada good stuff. I call <laughs> it. Anyway, so now we have come to the part of the show I like to call the shift. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to say the F because otherwise we have problems. <laughs> uh, where I shift the questioning away from your personal performing career, singing career, however you want to call it, because you do more than just sing, you're a performer, mm-hmm. and to your opinions on current events. So this is, and as of just like a few minutes ago, actually, um, it was, the news just, you know, breaking news that um, Hunter Biden was indicted for um, claiming that he wasn't on drugs when he signed for a, a gun permit, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get a gun. Um, and I'm sure all the people on the other side of the aisle are thrilled about that because, you know, what's happening on the other side, you, you have to forget about that, you know, right, right. even though that's so much worse about our, our democracy. But, the um, people who are actually in power as opposed to their children. Yeah, Yeah, because exactly. Hunter Biden is not running for president. No, and he never was able to make any calls on anything. However, however, he is somebody who told a lie, and he is someone who did it in a, a felonic way. Felonic? Felonic? Felonious is that a word? Felonious way? Is that the way? I, don't <laughs> I mean, that... And and he should... They should yeah, get to the I, bottom of it. You they know, should get you're to the like me. If you did the crime, do the time, I don't care what party you're in. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, on the other side, they, they want to f- forgive everything. Of course, you know? of course. So it's it's not a two-way street here. It seems to be, a, you, know, uh, you know, blinders kind of thing. But also, as of the recording of the show, House Republicans are opening an impeachment inquiry yeah. on President Biden. Mm-hmm. They allege that the president's son, Hunter... Not only did he's already been indicted for the gun thing, but they're saying that he profited in business dealings with foreign entities, but without any evidence of any connection 
to the president mm -hmm. himself, and also that his Justice Department is interfering in the investigations of Hunter Biden. Mm -hmm. The special counsel, David Weiss, denies those claims. Says, no, that's BS. Right. Do you believe this impeachment inquiry, I love that word, uh, will backfire on them or continue to fuel the right-wing base that, that he already has? I don't know. I mean, it seems like it doesn't matter what happens anymore. What, whether there are facts that come out, people listen to their own news station. They listen to their own, the people who think like them. An it's echo very, chamber. An yeah. echo chamber. And, and mm -hmm. I can't say that I, I can't be a hypocrite and say I don't do the same. I will turn, turn my radio to a station where I know they're not saying things that I agree with, but it's hard for me to listen for more than a half an hour. Mm -hmm. It really is. Every once in a while, there's a moderate that talks and that I can listen to and not feel like it's just somebody with blinders on. But I wonder how much I walk around with blinders on myself, mm -hmm. which is good. I think we should all wonder that. At the same time, I think it's important for, for everyone to look at our country and the way that the treatment of non-factual information is causing such a decay, such a decay mm -hmm. in, in relationships from neighbor to neighbor. I mean, I'm sure that in the past there have been situations, wars, uh, that have been very similar in the way that they cause decay between people. But this seems to cause decay between everyone. The, the far right, the middle right, the, the middle, middle right, moderate, the moderate lefts, the middle lefts, the left lefts. Everyone is finding fault. And no one seems to be able to have a central vein or artery to everyone mm -hmm. that everyone will hear anymore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's the internet. We will never get back to the place where we only have four channels to watch unless we're in a country where there's a dictatorship and all of our free press mm -hmm. has been silenced. Yeah. You know, we and, used to have Walter Cronkite back in the day and when yeah. he's when he read the news to you you believed it. You believed and it. And everybody was on the same page. Yeah, and if and if something got said that wasn't true, it was brought up and it was he was brought down and he had to say this wasn't actual right, fact. Right, right. Are you familiar with the fairness doctrine? Do you know what that is? Mm -mm. It okay, so it was a law that was in place that was revoked during the Reagan administration that said if you have a um a show on a news show or a program or a radio show, whatever, you had to have both sides of, of the coin on the show. You had to have oh, both views. Interesting. It couldn't be just one-sided. I think that's why I was so divided because people are in their echo chambers. They're watching one show. And if you don't watch that show and they say, did you hear about Hunter Biden? We're going to say, oh, Hunter Biden, but what about you know the ex- president uh, twice impeached oh what happened with him you know that nobody seems to know the truth yeah. and it's there's a happy medium somewhere and uh, but we're not finding it right yeah i mean yeah. i think i think that you're right i mean the fairness act was something that definitely would have destroyed a lot of the opportunity to give people both sides on television but of course now with the internet that would have there are no laws for the internet yeah you know there are there's there's nothing really that's where you have that, propaganda like going berserk yeah i mean people believe in the craziest they, yeah. like marjorie taylor green believed that uh, uh, 
Italian space lasers were uh, uh, attacking, uh, uh, hitting California, and that's why we have the fire. I mean, yeah, I can't I mean, even make this up, but right? it's crazy. And you can buy bots. You can go onto Instagram and buy bots that will like all of your stuff and share all of your stuff to all the people who look at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can buy mm-hmm. indiscretion. Yeah, you yeah. can buy non-facts mm-hmm. and send them out to everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's, what, what, it's amazing what, what, what money can do. I, 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 don't, I don't want to say her name because she, she irritated me. But she was <laughs> in the Trump administration, and she came up with the term alternative facts. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. to me, there's no such thing. That's <laughs> an oxymoron. You can't have alternative. It's either a fact or it's not. It's either it's either fact or it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Anyway, so um, also breaking, all this breaking news. <laughs> I feel like CNN. Uh, over 5,000 people are feared dead and thousands more missing in a catastrophic flood in the North African nation of Libya. Do you feel the world will ever finally come together and do something and take climate change more seriously before more people die? What is your opinion about that? I don't know. I mean, it's once again, we're seeing countries back off and then, and then move forward and then back off and move forward depending on what partisan side they're on. Yeah, that's terrible. And and I just don't, I I personally don't see how anyone could say that there's not fact. There's not (laughs) fact because there is actual fact. Mm. I can hear people say the world has gone in cycles over the years. There have been years where there's been terrible, terrible, terrible droughts. There have been years where, but I would, I would then say, I would ask them to go back and look in their history books and say, was that in the entire world? Or was that in a specific area? Was that the whole world? Because we're in the whole world area right now. We're in everybody, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think I think as we continue to vacillate between I'm a I'm partisan or I'm for the world. <laughs> we are the world. I mean, come on, right? We are the children. Yes. Um, we, <laughs> you know, we're the ones that make a better life. We're the ones that make it better. And if we don't start to making it better. How is how is it going to get better? So yeah, I wonder about that, and if it will change at all, and yeah, yeah. and when it will change. Uh-huh. I hope it will. Yeah, it has to change because look, Florida, hurricanes destroying the state, the red tide in Florida killing all the yeah. all the fish and the coral and. Uh, Hawaii, the fires. Uh, uh, yeah, California, the fires in fires. California. Can- Canada, Canada with the, the fires. fires. Louisiana the with the fires. Hawaii with the fires. Yeah. Um, you could go on Maui. Remember what happened with Maui? Well, yeah. I mean, and, just the flash and fires are now occurring. In, yeah. in Hawaii and in Louisiana, those are typically extremely humid and wet areas. Not anymore. Yeah. Nope. And so, you know, it just, it's quote unquote gradually happened. Yeah. Um, and this is my prediction. I predict that we will see. It, huge influx of people with a lot of money in the Midwest yeah, yeah. because they're going to have to leave the coast yeah, they gotta find some place yeah. that they are comfortable. So they will build and buy and build and buy. Yeah, and we yeah. will see, we'll see that similar things happening here that have happened in Seattle where you and San Francisco and LA where you can't afford to live anymore because they're being bought up by all the people who want to charge $5,000 for a studio apartment. And there's some places that, um, some states that you can't even get insurance on your home. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Anyway, but climate change is real. People don't oh don't listen to alternative facts. 
well, because if, it's not, uh, it, you know, it's all about, you know, again, it's money. Um, you know, the, the oil companies want to make more money. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you don't drill, baby drill, they're not going to make as much money. So, it, it, and, and they're disregarding everything that's going on around them. It's almost like they're in a bubble and money is more important to them. Unfortunately, it, it, we have one earth that's it, just one yeah. earth, and when that's gone. And, and, and the good thing, though, the last thing about this, the good thing is the young people are the ones that are coming out in droves yeah. voting, uh, voting for the DFL and the Democrats because they see their future is in jeopardy. Yeah, they see somebody actually willing to make some movement yeah, yeah, and yeah, try yeah. to get back into what we were doing before yeah. instead of being pulled out of it by the last administration. Yeah, yeah. Thank God for the young people. Uh, the last question... Mm-hmm. I have is this is an interesting one. Um, I just want your opinion on it. Now you know I'm a gay man, and uh, I always what? Say, oh, <gasps> oh, the scandal. Um, <laughs> we met at a gay pride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. I felt it necessary to talk about uh, uh, LGBT issues on every show. I Good. always feel it's an important thing because Good. we don't get it out there enough. There's no shows on TV or anything about. Uh, uh, you know, uh, promoting our issues or understanding about our community. Yeah. So the most current Pew Research poll listed the top 10 most LGBTQ-friendly countries in the world, and they are, now this is from 10 to, to 1, from 10th to 1st, New Zealand, Great Britain, Ireland, Denmark, Spain, Canada, Sweden, Norway, the Netherlands, and number one in the world is Iceland. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Now, Listen to what I'm going to say. So far, we haven't heard anything about the country we are living in right Mm -hmm. now. Okay. Also, in a recent Forbes article of the safest countries for LGBTQ people in the world to travel to from 10th to 1st are uh, the UK, Belgium, Denmark, Spain, Portugal, Norway, Malta, the Netherlands, Sweden, and number one in the world is Canada, our Hmm. neighbor to the north. Yeah. Imagine that. Notice how many countries appear on both of those lists, right? Mm-hmm. So here's my question to you. In your opinion, why would you say that the United States does not appear on either of those lists? Is is there something that I don't know about what's going on in this country that we can't even be on a list where people are safe? You know, yeah, I, I think there is something going on. However... Um, now I'm not, I agree with you. I'm agreeing. I'm in agreement with you. I think that that's silly and ridiculous, but then we need to look at the size of our country. And if they were to split it up Mm -hmm. and say state by state, Mm -hmm. I think that you'd see states that might be similar sizes to some of those countries that would say per capita are safe, are LGBTQ friendly, but not just friendly, but like progressive, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that there would be states but the fact that we border from state to state with different government control mm-hmm. and different ideologies mm-hmm. that take over, that seem to take over the entire state, even though they don't, there are people of all, every single kind that live in those states and probably, you know, how many different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds, but they're not being heard at the percentage to change the government. Yeah, we have a federalist society. I mean, other countries, you know, they're they're one country. When they vote, they they vote as a unit. 
the United States does everything by state. Even, even the way you vote is, mm-hmm. depends on the state you mm-hmm. live in or, or the, how, how many uh, guns you could own is, depends on the state. Or uh, you know, anything is, is all done by state. And sometimes that can be a detriment, I think, to yeah. um, especially the LGBTQ community. Because what if I'm traveling to one of those states and right. um, you know uh, something happens and I'm not recognized there or something? You know, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's unfathomable to me yeah, yeah, yeah. that we're st- that there are so many things that we as a country are still talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you remember even before marriage passed in uh, in mm-hmm. the United States, but it was the Supreme Court, the old Supreme Court before the new right, one. Right. The uh, the the sick the sicko people that are there now that are just uh, cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Tell me how say, you really feel. Oh my God, I can't <laughs> stand them. I even have a shirt that says "Abort the Supreme Court." <laughs> I am so over them. I can't. Women are, women are being marginalized. African Americans are being. They can't even. I mean, I all immigrants are being marginalized. It's, it's terrible. It's, the it's uh, the only people that seem to be um, allowed to to have a voice are mm-hmm. people that either support um, that support white men or that are white men and old. Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean that every white man shouldn't be supported. Yeah, I'm white. But there are, yeah, <laughs> there, but there are, it's still, it's, we're still, there are still women looking to the white man to make the decisions about her body because he should know better. No. He would know better than her because she's got a monthly cycle yeah. and she might go cuckoo, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, that, that, that interesting idea to me. Um, I, I had a family member tell me that they didn't vote for Hillary, even though Hillary, they felt more in tune with her ideas because they didn't like the sound of her voice. Aye. And I thought, I wonder how many men in power, going for power, have not been voted for because of the sound of their voice. Yeah. I would say not, not a huge percentage. Yeah, yeah. How many women? Yeah. Donald Trump's voice irks me, but that's another another show in itself. Oh, well, sure. I <laughs> anyway, mean, especially when you hear it every single day, denigrating every single it, person that doesn't agree with them. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Anyway, but unfortunately, <laughs> we've come to the end of the downright upright show today. Um, so thank you so much, Jen, for uh, being a guest on the show today. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, you are amazing, and um, I would totally encourage everyone listening to go on to her website and it's i'm gonna re- repeat it again maybe three or four times it's uh <laughs> www w- i can never say that www dot jen burley hyphen bents b-e-n-t-z burley is spent uh, spelled b-u-r-l-e-i-g-h and there'll be a little blurb next to the uh, podcast with, with the information that's in written form so they could see it better sure. um again it's jen burley hyphen bents.com and mm-hmm. go there and see jen perform live because you will never believe it. It, it, it i didn't believe it and uh you have an amazing voice and presence and your your, your soul is bright and i just love meeting you I, I hope that we can get together again and maybe do this mm-hmm. or hang out or yes you know, I'm so glad we've had this time Time together together, Just to (laughs) have a laugh and and sing sing a song (laughs) My voice is I can't remember all the words Once we get Yeah, is the time we have have to to say say So long Pull your ear 
Bye bye. <laughs> and to our <laughs> listeners, thank you for spending time with us today on the uh, Downright Upright show. Please stay tuned for more shows because yes. we have a whole bunch in the pipeline in the future. And this is your host, Philip Anthony, saying ciao for now. Thank you.